0: Well, you just love that story that Steve told? Uh, it just reminds me, it's about uh, letting your light shine. Like Jesus said, letting being present and letting your light shine and long term and for many of us in the lives of people, uh, it's over time as God begins to work in their life then they turn to the light, to the people that are showing the light. But if you're not showing the light, then they don't know to turn to you. I was. Uh, I, so I have a little devotional I didn't plan on. It's the kind of two sermons today, so you're going to get your money's worth. And but the f- first one's really short, so you'll be happy about that. And some of you go, "Well, why don't you just end there with the short one?" But I, I, I won't. I could, but I won't. Um, I was watching The Man in the Arena, which is the story of Tom Brady uh, yesterday, and I was, I'm on session, uh, section three, and it's the, if you follow NFL football, you know the name Tom Brady. Even if you don't, you probably know the name Tom Brady. And early in his career, they built a, a, a dynasty. They win three Super Bowls in four years. And uh, at the end of that third Super Bowl, he's reflecting on it, and he said, you know, it was showing up every day putting the work in not even realizing that the work i was putting in and we were all putting in would be the foundation that enabled us to build a dynasty and i caught me and i thought as a christian that's true that when you show up by showing up to worship by showing up for prayer by showing up to meet with God each day. It may not feel like a big victory every time you're here or every time you pray or every time you seek God in his word, but it is shaping and molding you to be used by God. The cumulative effect of being faithful day in, day out, week after week, month after month is that God molds you. That's the way God works most often. Yes, there are those crises moments where we change dramatically, but it's the cumulative effect of being faithful and showing up. So well done. Today you are forming and shaping your life in Christ, even though you may not feel it. And it took Tom Brady to tell me, Ed, be faithful, because sometimes you don't even know that you're forming and shaping your life by the faithfulness of doing what God has called you to do. I thought, is that ever encouraging for you today? Because you you are forming and shaping your life as you show up. Some of you didn't feel like being here today. And in that moment, in this moment, you're winning a victory and building something for the future as God works in your life. So I want to pray over you. Jesus, I thank you that you are at work. So often you are subtle, silent, and long-term. And we get discouraged. But help us to be like Steve, who faithfully showed up at work, faithfully let his light shine. And after years, when that supervisor went, I need prayer, he turned to Steve and to Matt. whoever knew that that would happen. It's just the way you work. Thank you for the work you're doing in our lives as we come here to worship you and to exalt you. I thank you for the faithfulness of these people because they know you, and love you, or want to know you. So I pray for your favor and your blessing and your establishing of your kingdom in our hearts until you return. Amen. Well, we've been walking through Scripture uh, with the help of Andy Stanley's book, Four Enemies of the Heart. And examining what Scripture says about four emotions that control us in a negative way. They produce negative things in our lives, and we struggle with them. And then uh, we've learned ways to deal with them. Rather simple, actually. And so, like, guilt is that sense that I owe you something. And, And when you feel guilty and don't deal with it, it hounds your soul. And we've learned, Scripture says, well, then confess it. Be honest. Admit it. That's the doorway out of the guilt in your life. Just a side note, Satan does use false guilt. And so discerning, is this true guilt? I've done something, I need to confess. Or is this a false guilt? I struggle with that one. Satan tries to get in all the time on that one with me. The second thing is anger. I'm angry, a sense that you owe me because of something you did against me or to me or withheld from me. And, and I have this sense that I'm angry at you because you owe me something, you haven't paid it. And the scripture says, forgive it, cancel the debt. Walk away from it. Remember what Christ has done for you. And well, even if they don't admit that they've hurt you, just forgive it, cancel it, walk away and be free. Now, who here would say, I never struggled with guilt or anger in my life? You know you do. And so scripture gives us the, gu- the guidance on this. Now the next one was greed. Remember greed? The, it, greed is not a financial issue. It's not what you have and, and, and what you own. It's, it's a hard issue. It's what you want and what you keep. What we want and what we keep. And greed focuses ourselves on ourselves. And we covered up by simple things like, well, I'm just being frugal or I'm just being wise or I'm just planning for the future. All of which are good things. But we, we're, we're using those as an excuse to hold on and and to keep and to want and to get. And scripture says there's an answer for that, that kind of living which is so self-focused it turns your soul inward. Be generous. Be generous and generosity was giving in such a way that it affects the way you live. You can't keep living the way you were living when you're generous because your generosity takes money out of your bank account and gives it away and it doesn't enable you to live like you used to be living. Now, the final one, jealousy, <laughs> is the one that I deny the hardest. It is a sense that God owes me jealousy. God owes me. Now, I know what you're thinking. Well,. I'm not a child anymore. I mean, yeah, you know, when I was in junior high, I was really jealous, and, you know, I was struggling with that, but hey, come on, I'm an adult now, I'm not, I'm not jealous anymore, and I certainly don't think God owes me anything. I mean, I, I, I gotta pass on this one. Okay, before you play your get-out-of-jail-free card on this one, just a- answer this question in your heart. Why do I feel a sense of satisfaction when the guy driving the Porsche zooms by me and then later on down the road I see him pulled over by the police? Why is there that smirk? Why is it... That when the brainiac, you know, the one that always, I know the answer, I know the answer, I know the answer. You know, that one that bothers you because they're so smart and they they always seem to be thrown in your face. Why do we feel a joy when the teacher humiliates them in the middle of class? Or really, they humiliate themselves by being a know-it-all and they didn't know it all. And we're like, yes. (laughs) How's that feel? Why is it when the good-looking girl gets dumped by her boyfriend, you feel a little good? You know, yeah, yeah that was cool. Or why is it when, when the, the friend that has, you know, the good-looking friend starts to go bald? You kind of laugh to yourself every time you see the bald spot growing. Or the sister that is skinnier and prettier says, I don't fit in my clothes anymore. You're like, (laughs) about time. Now you know what the rest of us feel like. Or the brother who is always smarter, always more athletic, always seemed to get the breaks. When he doesn't get the job of a life and inside you feel a little happy about that. Or a pastor bombs on his sermon, and you, someone feels really good that somebody that good gets the bomb? What is that? Why do you feel that way? What is that telling you about your heart? Well, Disney got it right, Disney knows what it is. Remember toy story one, Woody is the king of the toys he 's andy 's favorite toy, and then then andy 's mom plans a special party and gives him a Buzz Lightyear, the new and greatest story and that becomes andy 's favorite toy kind of woody isn 't it anymore, and so do you remember that story and what woody does woody 's going to betray Buzz and get him kicked off the island and, and at the last moment Bell convinces Woody that he is jealous of Buzz and then recognizing it he turns it all around and the story is he, he rescues Buzz and they got to get away from the you know that neighbor the kid that takes all the toys apart and get back to Andy Disney knew that it was jealousy how come we don't But let me take it a little bit step further. Jealousy isn't just me wanting what you have. That's an expression of it. But the truth of the matter is, I don't really mind if you're prettier or smarter or if you're rich or if you're, you know, good-looking or successful. I just want to be Prettier or better looking or richer or or more successful. It's not that you can't be that, it's that I have to be more. And so, I know you can't make me prettier or better looking or richer or smarter, but there is somebody who can. He made you good looking, He made you rich. He made you successful well why wouldn't he do it for me see that's why jealousy is the sense ultimately in the heart of it is that God owes me I want something and God didn't give it to me and now I'll take it out on you now God isn't surprised at this. In fact, he writes about it and tells us how to deal with this. This is a sign of our brokenness. This is why a good theology is important in understanding the scriptures, that the fall of Adam and Eve, our first parents, brought into our world and into our being, sin, which is a separation from God, a brokenness, a penchant to do what God doesn't want us to do, a penchant to rebel against God. And jealousy is sin. It is a statement of I want what I want regardless of what God wants. It's great when we line up. Hey, God, if you want to make me successful, I'm your man. If you want to make me richer, I'm your man. But if you don't, I'm going to go after it anyway. It's sin. It. And as I said, God's not surprised at this. This is, he actually gives us a way to deal with it. James chapter four. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Now just stop. And think about when you're jealous of somebody. Okay, I'll try not to be so convicting. When somebody else is jealous, you notice how they talk about the other person, they undermine the other person, they downgrade the other person, they may even attack them in different ways, withhold something that belongs to them. A boss. Who should be helping his sales uh, agent or a salesperson to succeed withholds and makes obstacles in the way because really he's jealous that she is so su- su- successful. A friend who should be standing up for their friend when they're not there actually joins in the gossip. So what causes these fights and quarrels that are among you? So if you don't ever have any quarrels and fights in your relationships, you've got to pass now. You can check out. In fact, go ahead, walk right out right now. We want to see those of you that are that good that you never have fights or quarrels. This is universal. And James says... God says through James, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You fight and quarrel with others because you want something they have. You may not even have identified it. Sometimes we react just out of pure emotion. We don't even know why we don't like that person. And James says, well, let me tell you what. They come from what you want inside that battles within you. You desire, but you don't have, so you kill. Now, this is the subtlety of James. James is not suggesting Hey, if you haven't killed anybody, then this clearly doesn't reply to you. James, in his writing, is so, so inspired, so good, that he's forcing us to ask, well, what do you mean we kill? And if you think about it, jealousy is the very first sin out of the garden. Remember the story, Cain and Abel? Oh, no, murder was the first sin, uh-uh. First sin was jealousy. Cain and Abel brought their offerings to God. God blessed and favored Abel, but he didn't Cain. And Cain got what? Angry and jealous of his brother. And God says, hey, sin is knocking at the door of your heart through your jealousy, but you must control it. And he didn't, and he killed Able. And James is referring to that to say, hey, when you have that feeling inside that you don't like somebody or you want something that they have, sin is knocking at the door of your heart and you will either control it or you will give in to it and attack that person somehow. Boy. James is so insightful. You covet, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and fight. This actually tells us, gives us, James gives us a really good insight to jealousy. Can't have it. And so now I take it out on the people around me that have it. And it reveals that the natural man, the natural woman, the flesh within us believes that I'll be happy if I can get something from you. If I can get what you have, I'll be happy. Really? Really? Since when does getting what we want make us happy? Now, I, I, I just said something that runs totally counter to the world in which you and I live. You intuitively believe that if you get what you want, you will be happy. Hmm. Are you sure? Are you sure? You know the funny thing about appetites and desires? Is the more you feed them, the more they grow. Do you ever think about that? No, 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 no. When I'm hungry, Ed, when I'm hungry and I eat, I'm no longer hungry. Uh huh. For how long? In fact, have you ever noticed that if you eat more, then you're hungrier later on? Has anybody had this experience? Chris and I do all the time. We eat at night, and we wake up hungry. We're hungry at night and don't eat, and we don't wake up hungry. But think of it long-term. Oh, I'm just going to keep eating and, and eating, and I'll keep eating more. And what happens? Well, then you eat more. And then what happens? Your, your appetite gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And the people that eat the most are the ones that are least satisfied with what they eat. Do you ever think of that? That the more you feed appetites and desires, the more you have to have them? That's why fasting is such a good spiritual discipline. You're saying no to your body. So you control it rather than it controlling you. <laughs> so Margaret, our office assistant, uh, went off sugar. Now, I don't know why. I know. Some of you do this. I don't know why you would go off sugar. Actually, I do. I just don't have the... Disciplined to do it. But she went off sugar. So no sugar or cream in her coffee, no chocolate, no candies, no chocolate, no donuts, no chocolate. You know, all that kind of good stuff. None of the, none of the good stuff. And when she first told me, I was like, come on, you're kidding me, right? And so I would come into the office every once in a while with a little chocolate bar. Hey, hey, you know, would you like a little bit of chocolate? No. And so I kept testing her resolve because I was wanting to, her to grow, right? Like, I, I just, <laughs> I was jealous that she had the d- resolve to do it, and so I was going to break her resolve, right? Whew. So one time, um, I offered her chocolate bar, kidding around. Here, have some chocolate. And she goes, no, I don't really want it. And I'm like, are you kidding? You haven't had chocolate in years. And you don't want it? She goes, you know, at first when I I stopped eating sugar, it was all I could think about. But I broke through and she goes, now, even if I take just a little piece of chocolate, it's sickening to me. It's way too sweet. It saps my energy. I have no desire. Well, remember what we're—we're ta- we're not talking about sugar. We're talking about desire. That the more you feed an appetite, especially a sinful appetite, the greater it gets. Actually, it works the other way. The more you feed a good appetite, the greater it gets. The more you hunger after God, the more you want God, the more you hunger after God. The more you hunger after sin, the more you want sin, and the more you go after it. Isn't that funny? And that's what James is talking about. You want it, and so you quarrel and fight. Okay, smarty pants, what should I do? James being the smarty pants You do not have because you do not ask God. I don't have it because I don't ask God. Well, James, that sounds like the dumbest thing you could say. Because what if I want more sex? What if I want more money? What if I want more success? What if I want more popularity? I'm supposed to ask God? Awkward. Aren't those the things I'm supposed to sacrifice? Aren't they the bad things for a Christian? Actually, no. All of those things are gifts God gives to people in the measure he determines. Every one of the ones I just mentioned. The problem isn't the what. The problem is the why. Watch what he says. When you ask, you do not receive it because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Oh. Hmm, it's not the what, it's the why. Now, I wish I could say I was immune to this, but I think I've been preaching long enough and told you enough deprecating stories about myself. You know, Ed, how are you struggling with this, right? So in my world, significance and success is growing large church. And so in my heart in my 30s and 40s, so by the way, I just want to say, there's nothing wrong with a growing large church. There's nothing wrong with the blessing of God being on a church, bringing people to Christ, growing people, people sharing their faith, and, and the kingdom of God being built. That's what the kingdom's all about. However, it's not the what I wanted, it's the why I wanted it. That's the problem. So in my 30s and 40s, I wanted to be the next Bill Hybels of Canada. So if you know anything about Church World Bill Hybels was the most successful pastor in in North America him and Rick Warren I mean he had it like he could preach and he could lead and he had influence and he was speaking at conferences he was writing books and he, you know when Bill walked into a room everybody was like oh it's Bill and that's what I wanted that's what my heart was after In fact, I couldn't even admit it to God. I wouldn't have told him that. But finally, I think it was my late 40s, early 50s, I told God and I told a friend. And my friend said to me, Ed, it's not wrong to want something. It's not wrong to have desires and dreams. And I commend you that you dream big. But what if God doesn't give it to you? What then? Hmm. See, God never ever gave me that. What then? Is your heart okay? You okay with God? Still gonna follow Him? Still gonna be faithful? You can put aside those drives, that appetite for significance and importance that you're trying to feed your soul with when God is saying, no, I can't give you that. Instead, you follow me. You know, had I went and told God, if I'd have been honest with God about what I really felt in my 30s and 40s, I would have saved myself a whole lot of pain and people around me because God said, you know, Ed, I'm gonna have to refine you of this. The term refine substitute pain. I'm going to have to refine you because this is getting in the way of you serving me. You're quenching my spirit. I can't do through you what I want to do because you want something different. And so I'm going to have to change your wants. And that's a heart issue. That's heart surgery. Doesn't sound like fun, does it? Believe me, it's not. (laughs) I'm so thankful that he was patient and that he was a good father and he took me through that, but I never want to go through that again. See, it's not what we want, it's why we want it and why we pursue things. Because we believe in our heart. If we get that desire, we will truly be happy. And is there any happiness outside of God? So that's what James is suggesting. Look what he says next. says, now you adulterous people. Not really a nice thing to say about somebody, right? Hey, how are you? John, good to meet you, you adulterer. Really not something that you really want to come out of your mouth when you're meeting. John's just a made-up name, by the way, so you don't have to pick John out here. (laughs) You adulterous people. I mean, that should get our attention. What's an adulterer? A someone who is committed to one person but is with another. Hmm. When our heart says it's committed to God, but our actions are committed to ourselves. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity, hatred, uh, enemies against God, being. Being in, in mal, being in hatred with God, being, being an attacking and being in an in a, a, uh, oppressed, not oppressive, in, in an opposing relationship with God, fighting against God. Don't you know that when you pursue the desires of your heart that are all for you and against what God wants for you, that you're entering into a conflictual relationship with God? That doesn't sound like a good idea. Therefore, now the, again, the subtlety of James. I want to show you what he's doing. He's talking about jealousy and unfaithfulness in the first verses. He's going to flip it and talk about it again, but in a different context. You adulterous people, and he says, therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world, meaning anybody who pursues the things of this world to find fulfillment outside of God. That's what he's talking about. When you get your value because you're, you, you think you're important or you're significant because you're pretty or you're richer or you're smarter or you've got a bigger church, when you start going down that road, you're fighting against God. And you're being unfaithful to God. He says, Do you think becoming a friend of the world, you become an enemy of God? Or do you think Scripture says without reason that He jealously, look at that word, God is jealous that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us, that God has deposited his spirit within us and he has got to work to make us complete, full, mature, righteous people. But when we pursue things that he says no to, we are fighting against God. It's like when a husband finds out his wife is being drawn to another man, he gets jealous. Or a wife finds out that her husband is now starting to flirt with another woman, she gets jealous. There is a thing called righteous jealousy and it motivates the one who's being cheated on to do something, to stop and hold the person accountable to the covenant that they made and the promises that they made and the integrity of their family and the care for their family and that jealousy is a righteous jealousy in that context and James is saying you're jealous and you pursue what's evil. God is jealous and he pursues what's good. Do you forget that he died for us? That's how much he loved us. He died for us. Do you think he is going to let me pursue things that will lead me away from him and draw me into a conflictual fighting relationship against God without some sort of action in my life? Absolutely not. What husband would let his wife wander off with another guy? What wife would let her husband wander off with another girl? Now watch this verse. But he gives more grace. But he gives us more great. I know you struggle with these desires in your heart. I know you want to be significant. I know you want security. I know you want hope. I know you want to be happy. I know you want to be fulfilled. But that only comes in me, feeding these appetites and th- Pursuing them will only make you emptier, will only empty your life of any good, will only lead you away from me who is the true author of life, who truly gives life that is meaning. I know you want that, and I give you more grace so that you can fight these things, and that's why scripture says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He opposes those who fight against him, but he gives grace to the humble. It's grace. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil. huh? Boy, just as the devil was working in Cain through the jealousy, he's working in us through jealousy. Submit yourselves then to God. What's that look like? Well, I think the first thing that it looks like is that I go, God, I'm going to ask you. Instead of just going after things and following the emotions in my heart, I'm going to bring my desires to you and then whatever you say, that's what I'll pursue. I want more money. So I'm going to pray about that. I'm gonna fast about that. I'm gonna talk to others about that until I get a sense that either you're leading me into a new opportunity or I need to be content with what I have. And so God, I'm gonna come to you with that. I want more sex. I'm going to bring that to you. I'm gonna talk to you about it. I'm gonna talk to whoever I might need to talk to. I'd be careful how broad you go with this one? A counselor, somebody I can trust. I'm going to talk about that. If I'm single, then I guess I'm going to wait and honor you. And if I'm in a marriage where this is a struggle, well, I'm going to get help and I'm going to seek you. I'm not going to go outside and try to fulfill this desire that I have in a way that's dishonoring to you or my spouse. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. That not that the Christian walk? Boy, I really want it. I'm going to trust God. It's so simple. Talk to God about it. I'm, well, I, <laughs> I, I know it's hard. I mean, I don't want to talk to God because he might say no. Yeah, but isn't that the trust part? Like, if God says no, isn't that what's best for us? Isn't that the way I honor him? And he gives more grace. And so that if I'm willing to humble before him, it says he shows favor to me. He will give me what I need to walk through this in success. And by the way, when you get through it, you look back and you go, I would have been a fool to pursue that and not trust God. I am so thankful I pursued God. In the moment, you don't feel that way, but... The cumulative effect of obedience and grace is it changes your heart and you see what is true. You know another way to submit ourselves? Celebrate the things in others that you're jealous of. When, you, when your sister comes, you know, you meet for a family, you get together and your sister, typically always the same, looks like a knockout. Instead of grumbling, say, man, you look good. That dress. That bathing suit looks really good on you. Or your brother gets that another promotion. Hey man, I'm so happy for you. That's fantastic. I've been praying for you that God would use you. This is a great opportunity. Your friend gets an inheritance. You know what? What a great gift. I am so happy for you. I'll be praying that you use this in a way that honors God and I hope it brings blessing in your life. Somebody else gets the attention and influence you want? Hey, I'm going to support you. Your your ideas, you know, the idea you brought, that was pretty good. I think that's great. I'm going to encourage others to listen to this. When we see celebrate what, the, the things we want in others. We are humbling ourselves, and that's where God says, then I'll give you the grace that you need in order to grow up. Oh, yeah, 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 but isn't that inauthentic, Ed? Huh, I don't know about that. Yeah, well, yeah, you're celebrating the, the you know, what, what you don't feel. You're, you're not feeling happy. She's prettier. Or he's richer or smarter or better or makes good sales. You're not. You don't feel good about. No, no. It's not about how we feel. If I didn't value the prettier, the richer, the more sales, the success, the info If I didn't value it, I wouldn't want it. It's really important to me. So when I celebrate you getting it, I'm as being as a. Th- As I can that this is valuable important and now I'm trying to walk with God by celebrating that you're getting it even though I'm not Thank you That Is walking with God So these four emotions control us They're negative they will keep us in bondage But when we're guilty and have a sense that I owe somebody something, confess it. When you're angry and you feel like somebody owes you something, forgive it, cancel it. When you're greedy and you have a sense, I owe me, this is mine, I want it, it's rightfully mine, give it. And when you're jealous of what others have, celebrate it. When you're willing to confess and forgive, and give, and celebrate, you're free. You are free. Tired of living under the bondage of these? Then just do what God says. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you for what I learned through your word and through the book that I read, Andy Stanley's book, and how powerful it was and is in my life. And I pray that it'll have that same effect, that your word will bring us closer to you. We will recognize the truth of what's going on in our hearts and then trust you with it. In your name I pray, amen.